Hello, and welcome back to the Sing When You're Losing podcast, a podcast about resilience. I'm your host, the Future Proof Coach, Buddy Owen. In this episode, we get to hear from David Karasek. David is a former Swiss swimmer who competed in the London 2012 Olympics, where he set a Swiss record in the 200 meter individual medley. David now works with athletes, young athletes in particular, across Europe, helping them to improve the mental side of their game. Now it's time for you to sit back, relax, and enjoy the conversation and see if you can learn to sing when you're losing. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Sing When You're Losing podcast. Uh, haven't been with you for a few weeks now, but it's really good to be back. And uh, the reason for the delay was, of course, I want to bring you the best possible content. And today I have the best possible content for you. Unfortunately, uh, you're only listening to this, probably not watching. Uh, so you won't get to look at the good looking guy sitting in front of me. Uh, for the next uh, few minutes, I have to stare at him and feel fairly insecure. Uh, so uh, I really want to welcome Dave Karasek to the show today. And David, we'll find out loads more about him in a few minutes. But uh, in short, David is a very good swimmer. Uh, and uh, that's probably where we'll start today. But uh, he's got a really interesting story that I hope that you will very much enjoy hearing. So let's get going then. Good morning, David. Hi, buddy. Thanks for having me. What an intro. Excited to be here. <laughs> Good. I'm glad you're here. Uh, and uh, in typical, typical British style, we talked about the weather uh, before we even got started. And uh, for one of the first times ever with a guest outside of the UK, uh, it's actually not raining here, but it is raining where you are today, which is where? God, and it has been for freaking 10 days. So I'm in Zurich in Switzerland. Yeah, guys, if you want to take a trip over here in May, I do not recommend it at the time. Actually, they said it's the worst May since 1922. Can you imagine? That's, that's ridiculous, but uh, actually we can relate. Uh, I think yesterday must have been the first day in about 30 uh, that it hadn't rained here. So uh, <laughs> we, we can relate. The weather has been appalling this uh, April and May. Uh, so it's nice. It's nice to be on the sunny end of it because that does yeah. not then happen in the UK. Yeah, I bet. Uh, yeah, that's that's the thing. Hey, but you know, like it's what we make of it, right? If we give it that, and that's what I always say, like it's it's easy to like complain and get lost in it, and it's it's what we make of it, right? If we just let it go and focus on other things, it's it's also okay. But yeah, it is a bit gray, I have to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is something that is truly out of our control. So uh, yeah, if we're, if, we're, if we're focusing on the controllables, that's not one of them. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> so you are in Switzerland, uh, and that's where you're from, right? Yeah, I, I was born and raised outside of Zurich, or I was born in Zurich and then kind of raised a bit outside. And um, yeah, I spent my first I believe like 19 years in Switzerland. And, uh, and then I went to the States uh, for college for four years, which was an incredible experience. And I am sure we're gonna speak about that. Learned a lot and, but I, you know, I told you that, you know, I'm 33 now. And basically until the age of 30, I was going through life and I was kinda, not kinda, I was very unaware of what was going on. Hey, I, 
looking back, I'm, a lot of things make sense now. But at the time, you know, it just happened on on auto autopilot, and I think, you know, that's something other people could could potentially learn from. Um, you know, because the more aware you are of what's going on, the more in charge, the more charge you take of your life, of your career, whatever that is, whatever you want to accomplish. Um, yeah, the better off you'll be, and the sooner the better. <laughs> Absolutely. I think it's really easy to go through life on autopilot. Uh, you're doing well to uh, have uh, realized that at 30. I think there's some people a lot older than that. They're still just on autopilot uh, and not making any real difference in life because they're on autopilot. So you're right. And, I, you know, we'll, again, we'll talk some more about some of the people we work with later. But, you know, working with young athletes uh, in particular and, the, you know, trying to get them to realize that, the life that they have at the minute is great uh, and to accept that it's great, but to realize that life is long uh, and yeah. there's a lot more to be thinking about than yeah. what you're doing just at that very minute. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. That's I, so right. And, and also like one of the, the themes that keeps coming back is like we totally overestimate what we can do in a month. And we completely underestimate what we can do in a year. And then you can take that further. We overestimate what we do in a year and we underestimate what we do in 10 years, right? And if you're having a healthy life and you're a young athlete, I mean, how many more years do you really, like you have a lot to go and there's so many things, you know, I mean, there's so much that can happen. So yeah, perspective and, and you know, sometimes like it happens so fast. It's like one connection that you make and that, that person changes your life and i know that you know some people when we're on with what we do with like mentoring and helping and it's like they say well you can't change the world that may be true but i know that the person that woke me up to you know the power that i have changed my life right and that's you know sometimes it goes so fast it's just one connection it's one one encounter one opportunity and and everything has changed and that we never know how or when it's going to happen that's why it's good to be ready and to know what to look out for also i think so true uh just being being present enough in the moment to know when that moment is happening uh is is so important and uh, again as you say for young for young athletes or, or not so young athletes uh learning how to take advantage of those moments is, is super important uh, you mentioned there about life flying by as well. Uh, you know, you go one year and then you go 10 years. And uh, so let's just back up a little bit for you. Um, it's been uh, a, an interesting life. You've had some amazing experiences. We've talked a bit about it before. So you, you said at 19, you moved to the States, but let's go back from before that sort of 19. What, where, so you grew up just outside Zurich, uh, and were you a swimmer your whole life? Because, you know, you're, you're, a, you're a former Olympic swimmer. That's amazing. So, so how did you get to that point, to, to that 19 years old where swimming was your thing? You know, I love that question because it kind of, it really falls well into place with what we just talked about, that it was an autopilot. You know, you could probably guess my dad was a swimmer. So, you know how they say the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And I, I, you know, I really enjoyed what, uh, swimming and what I learned through it. And I have no regrets, but it's just very interesting still to look back and say, wow, did I really choose swimming or was that kind of given to me? And, you know, my parents, they were very cool because I have a younger brother and a younger sister. 
and they took us to all kinds of sports so to tennis karate volleyball swimming and what happened with me i remember in tennis i would throw the racket around when i was losing so i think my parents just thought like you know it'd be safer to take me to swimming and i really enjoyed it and i was kind of good at it i had the talent and all that so you know i i grew up as a swimmer but i was kind of late so i didn't like train that much I, they even threw me out of one of the clubs when i was i think 14 because they wanted me to train more and i didn't feel like it and my mom said you don't have to and i had to change clubs and then you know later at the age of 16 17 i started to do my first morning practices which is kind of late yeah but that it was cool because i was never like forced to do it it was always it was always, I mean, always, most of the time it was fun for me. And my parents, they gave me this gentle push when, when I was not so motivated, but it wasn't like anything was forced. And that was, that was really cool because I was thoroughly enjoying the experience, right? And Great. yeah, and then at the age of like 16, 17, I started to train more and I moved to Zurich. Um, started to train in the Olympic pool and the long course pool. And that's when, when I started to get like faster and I won my first, uh, Swiss championships with 19, I think. Yeah. Okay. So interesting. Did you have any, like, was it your desire? When did it become your desire? I guess to like, to be an Olympian or to be, you know, for swimming to be your thing. Cause it, it doesn't sound like for a lot of guys, and ladies who uh, are, are are athletic, who are athletes, they start at you know six years old. They're like, oh, yeah. Either it's their parents saying, "We want you to do this, and you're going to practice eight hours a day," or it's them saying, "I want to be the best at this." But for you, it doesn't sound like it was like that. When did it? When did it become really important to you? Yeah, that's that's what happened. Was actually that as a little kid, I did have the Olympic dream of winning a gold, right? Like. A lot of children but what happened was the people around me they didn't laugh in my face but what happened with him in switzerland is like well you know go to school do this and that focus on what's important in life and we'll see about swimming later right kind of like you know it will take care of itself and 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 it did because that that dream faded away and it kind of really disappeared and that was the thing that I tell when I work with my athletes is that I never had that big dream ever again I was you know, the funny story is that I always thought along the lines what's realistic and I, you know, won the Swiss champs and then I thought, okay, I can make it to the European champs and that happened. And then I thought, okay, I can make it to the world champs and then that happened. But I, I would never think about finals or medals or anything, right? I just thought like, what's realistic? 5% better, 2% better. And then it was my coach in America who said, well, it's a true story. He's like, well, you're really close to making the cut to the Olympics. Why don't, why don't we go for it? And I was like, yeah, sounds good. Why don't we? And then I made that. But I, I never allowed myself to really have that big dream again because it was so far conditioned out of me. Yeah. That's, that's really interesting. Oh, did you always then love swimming? Did you ever fall out of love with swimming or did you love it all the way through? I think I loved it all the way through because I had to because otherwise like without yeah I, I really loved it because I love the competitiveness the competitiveness of it I loved that I could study and swim that I had a lot of friends that we could in America I mean we, we partied it was I was a happy swimmer you know so yeah I, I enjoyed it I think I think that's fascinating because 
you'll know this as well from your work with athletes. So many professional athletes or aspiring professional athletes fall out of love with their sport. Uh, and often because they're driven so hard to succeed that the success is all that matters and that their identity is then built around that success. I, I am only uh, as successful as uh, my identity is only as good as my success is. Um, and I just wonder, you know, with you, the, you were able to love it all the way through because you fell in love with the process. You fell in love with being David, with, uh, you fell in, you know, you were in love with the swimming, you were in love with the education, you were in love with the lifestyle, you, the whole process worked for you. Do you think that that's what made the difference and, and potentially makes the difference for some of the athletes that we work with? See, wow, that's good insights. I, uh, you just opened my eyes to that. See, that's what I was saying. I was so unaware of how that, how it happened, and how I created the success that I did in swimming. And um, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure that is. And, and my question to you would be, you know, where does the, because a child, you're talking about pressure for for the for the young athlete. You know, like a child knows so little, right? It's basically just absorbing what's going on in the environment. And where do you think that pressure is coming from? I mean, I have a suspicion, but where do you think the pressure is coming from most of the time when things don't go so well? I, I think it varies, but I think for a lot of children and, and in my experience, you know, the, there's a lot of pressure from a lot of parents, mm -hmm. um, you know, expecting the, the child to you know, in this country, in the UK, it's obviously often for football. Uh, and the the pressure for on the child to succeed, even at a young age, you know, at eight years old, and you've got parents arguing with the referees at eight-year-old yeah. football games. And, you know, some of my friends are like, I'm never going to ref. Yeah, I'm never going to yeah. ref again, because I, I'm actually afraid for my life refereeing wow. an, an eight-year-old football wow. game. Wow. Um, so, I, I think a lot of the pressure comes from the parents. Yeah. Uh, I think the, the internal pressure goes, uh, grows. So when you get the external pressure consistently, your parents saying, you need to go train more, you need to train harder, you need to train harder, you need to train harder. We, we, we shape our kids you know, I mean, as, a, as a parent, um, yeah. for good or ill, um, I, I, I shape my, my kids. Uh, and I want that to be for good, but when it's not, they're taking on all that, that negative stuff that I'm putting on them. And so eventually it becomes their own internal pressure. Uh, and, and then it often at some point that explodes, doesn't it? But, um, I, I, so I think it's, I think initially most of the time, not always, but most of the time, initially it's external and then it grows to become internal. I think. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. And I mean, also it, think I also see that happening is that and I could see myself if I have a kid I don't have a kid yet right or, or multiple but that what I missed out on is like my kid can do it and then it's like that pressure it's like my story kind of like Tiger Woods you know like he it was his father's dream that he would be the best golfer like it, it really was and there's a good documentary about that and I mean the, the, the athlete can be the most successful in the world and because practice and persistence and so on. But 
you know, is Tiger Woods really like that happy? I'm, I'm not so sure with what's going on. I would love to have a chat with him about that. But um, yeah, I think there's a good differentiation between like the internal, just healthy competitiveness to be the best version of yourself. And a, a child has like the athletes, they have that burning desire already inside of them to be the best version because they, they hate it when they're not playing well already. So there's not, there's no need for more pressure, especially not at that age, right? So I, yeah, I completely, yeah, I see that as well, that um, we gotta take the adults by the ears. <laughs> that, yeah, it's true. Uh, and I think, you know, there's an argument that most of the people who you might say were the greatest of all time uh, at their particular sport, um, you mentioned Tiger Woods um, and Michael Jordan, you know, that, that drive, were they actually happy the whole time? Uh, or were they not happy with, with that amount of drive? Um, and and I, I think it's a good question. Again, I, I would love to have a conversation with them as well. Yeah, <laughs> and, let's put out the out. word. Hi. So if, if anybody got good connections to Tiger or Michael, <laughs> let us know. <laughs> That's right. So, you know, does success determine your happiness? Um, or is your happiness part of the process that helps to determine your success? Um, and I think uh, there's a lot that, there's a lot to be researched around that area. Interesting. Uh, I was uh, listening to a podcast that I enjoy from the States. Uh, and uh, it's it's called New Channel Sports Podcast. Uh, there are a few guys out of um, Houston and, and Dallas, Texas, talking about sports, mainly the NBA uh, and the NFL. Uh, some really cool guys. And they were talking about uh, Trevor Lawrence, who was um, first draft pick in this year's NFL draft. He's out of Clemson University, considered to be the best quarterback coming out of the draft and uh, and and potentially could be a great NFL quarterback. And uh, but he was on a talk show. I don't remember what it was. And he said something along the lines of, um, firstly, that there's more to life than football for me. Uh, he's quite a well-balanced young man. And uh there's more to life. And he also said, I can't manufacture a chip on my shoulder. So people like Michael Jordan and Tiger Woods were infamous for manufacturing this chip. You know, if, yeah, they're going to take something that may not even be negative that you've said about them. They're going to make it negative in order to motivate themselves. And he was saying, I can't do that. I can't manufacture this chip. The argument or debate then became, well, can't, does he have the potential of being the goat the greatest of all time because he can't manufacture that chip and uh i i that really struck a chord with me because i was like well firstly i don't think anyone should ever set out to be the goat i think everyone should set out to be the best they can be and then see what happens you know i i don't think michael jordan necessarily thought i'm going to be the greatest of all time it's, i'm going to be the best i can be um but also to, to take someone who's got who who seemingly has a well-balanced life and to potentially criticize that and saying they're not going to be able to be good enough to be the best because this isn't the be all and end all to them. I, I found that really interesting. And I, I think what they're saying is probably true in some ways. And I think that's really sad for sports that you have to make it the be all and end all of your life in order to be as successful as you want to be. What do you think? Yeah, it's um, very interesting. So 
I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind when when he's saying when you were saying that he was saying he can't like manufacture that chip on his shoulder. Well, my question is why not? It's just because he's just categorically saying I can't do that, and I just don't like the the word I can't because it. The truth is that if we say we can't, it's just we don't know how, because other people can do it, and there's no difference between us and the people that we idolize in a sense that can do something that we can't do. It's just that they have wrapped their head around it, they figured out, they asked how to do it, they learned it, and they internalized that, and they went on with it. So I would say, you know, he, he can learn that. But then the other thing is like, if you know, somebody in a talk show or some reporter or something is t saying something about what he can't do because he doesn't have a skill or whatever, what's that guy gonna know? Like, you know, like ask Tom Brady, if, you know, ask the, the best players in the world what they think about if somebody coming out of college is saying that, but don't ask like a reporter who's like sitting there is like 100 pounds overweight and you know, like, you know what I mean? It's like, it's like asking, if I ask my mom about advice in, in business, I don't have to ask my mom, she's never run a business, right? So it's, we want to we wanna ask the people that have done it. So we got to ask the best players in the world and see how they feel about it. And I'm sure that not everybody is like Michael Jordan and Tiger Woods. There's a lot of people that cannot manufacture the chip and they're still some of the best players in the world. I'm absolutely sure about that. Some of them are so shy and, you know, they don't have the skills that we think they should have and they still make it. So, you know, two things. I think he can learn it. And the second thing is that uh, never say what, I can't. <laughs> no, never say I can't. Don't oh, don't listen to. I mean, what do you want to? You know, Schwarzenegger was told all the time. He was saying like one of his rules is uh, don't listen to the naysayers, right? And he has like that accent. Don't listen to the <laughs> naysayers, and it's true. Like, what do they know? Nothing. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, I think. Well, firstly, I think you're right about the can't. Uh, I would agree with that for anyone who's wanting to improve themselves um, using words like I can't, I won't, uh, it's, it's always unhelpful. Um, I do think, I think potentially, I would, again, I'd love to chat with Trevor Lawrence. Uh, I, I think that for him, part of it is that he's just a really nice guy. And, and I wonder if for him, that kind of manufacturing the chip is almost like, I don't know, like lying to himself or trying to make someone else into the enemy, whereas he doesn't want to treat someone like the enemy. He wants to, you know, he wants to treat them like um, a competitor, but not an enemy. I, I don't know, you know, I'm yeah. guessing. Hey, but buddy, look, in the UFC and fighting, you have some of the nicest guys and girls, like literally, and they go in when the cage closes, they freaking go to kill. And yeah. they hate to beat yeah. the guy when there's down and all that. They hate it, yeah. but they do it because they can. They figure out a way to, you know, separate that. And then yeah. as soon as it's done, they're like yeah. relieved and they say, I'm sorry and all that. But so I think, you know, this stuff is learnable. This this is definitely learnable. I agree. And, you know, I, I tweeted back the guys uh, at the other podcast, um, who, again, I like very much. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I just said to them, I, th I said to assume that Trevor Lawrence isn't competitive just because he says he, he can't manufacture the chip would be a mistake. Right. Because if, if you look at his career so far, he wins. That's that's all he does. Um, so you, you don't just continue to win and win and win if you're if you're not competitive. So 
And yeah, don't mistake the nice guy for not competitive. Um, good tweet, man. Good tweet. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah, I think you'd make a mistake. Um, so uh, back to you. You, uh, got, you, you were doing very well with your swimming. You won your first Swiss championship. And then you got the opportunity to go to the States, to university in the States. So how did that come about? Okay, so at the time, I had a lot of fights with my coach here in, in, in Zurich. And at the time, I thought that it was all his fault and that he was an idiot and <laughs> now i know you know it was all it was all me now i know but i didn't know it at the time and so i just thought okay if i really want to continue swimming which i wanted because i liked it i gotta make a move i gotta go somewhere else and i was starting to look at america because i had a few friends that went to america a year or two before me and you know they got really fast and they they were like telling these stories and they came back once or twice a year for the swiss championships and yeah, they're all smiles about that. So I started doing my own investigation. And the next thing I knew is was I, the University of Virginia, they flew me out for a recruiting trip. And I did that and I just absolutely fell in love with it. And I, you know, I had others scheduled to Ohio State and Berkeley, California, but I, I, was, I was loving it in Virginia. And I just, you know, signed basically when I got back home. And, and then, you know, a couple months later, I was on my airplane to, to Virginia, to Washington. That was cool. Yes. So a um, few things on that. Firstly, uh, well done for choosing Virginia over Ohio <laughs> and California. Uh, well done for choosing the southeastern United States, because that is the best place uh, in the world to be. Um, Virginia Cavaliers, you know, as a Clemson Tiger fan, um, I'm going to salute you for choosing the ACC, even yeah. if you chose, yeah, even yeah. chose the wrong, wrong orange team. Uh, <laughs> ACC, which is good. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so you you went to the University of Virginia. So you did a you had a four year scholarship. Yeah, man, four years and yeah, I mean, what an incredible four years! I tell you, I tell you a funny story. What happened um, when I got there? Because in in swimming, right in Switzerland, it's kind of like an individual sport. You just you kind of train you train in the team, but it's seen as an individual sport. You score. You know, when there's a competition, there's a first, a second, and a third, and it's all individual, basically. And I got to the States, and in the States, they swim in the 25-yard pool. And we, I was used to swimming in a 50-meter pool, and that's about, like, more than twice as long. So in America, you have a lot more turns. And it was about three months in, and we, we were doing, like, a really hard-ass set that was 30 minutes of pain, basically, because we weren't allowed to breathe into the wall and out of the wall. And I wasn't used to that, and I was really struggling. And after about like 20 minutes, I was like, fuck this. And I started like cheating and I started breathing in and out of the wall. And we finished the set. The coach waited until everybody finished. And then he started yelling. He's like, Kersa came all the way from Switzerland and he thinks he's something better than you. And he cheated breathing in and out of the wall. So what we're going to do is we're going to repeat the whole set and he's going to get out on a bulkhead and he's going to watch how America does it. <laughs> <laughs> and then I had to get out and I had to like stand there and I had to repeat the whole 30 minutes of pain again because of me. And he was like walking, you know, back and forth and watching them. And he was passing me all the time. He's like, see, that's how I do it. You pussy, you pussy. <laughs> and I felt terrible. And, you know, but that had to happen because it was really beautiful. Cause in that moment, a light bulb went off for me in the shower afterwards. I apologized, you know, to the team and, 
but it had to happen and i was like wow this is so beautiful there's 70 people including the girls that are all kind of pulling into the same direction with one goal and you know you can't have a guy from switzerland just do whatever he wants and kind of get out of line you this is something bigger than just yourself and and i had and i was like wow this is beautiful people hold you accountable for it and you know things i started to shift my mindset around what swimming was because all the scoring was done you just scored points for the team it didn't matter if you're first second third it, it matters first because you got more points for the team mm. and and so you know that was it was it was incredible you know the the, the learning the new culture and ah, just everything was good yeah so swimming became a team sport but made you better as as an individual as well big time i mean big time it's you know when when you get tired you know if it's something bigger than just yourself you're gonna push harder it's just that's why i'm convinced that's why america's so good at sports it's because they have that i mean even if you go to the a regular ymca gym you have you're like benching and there's a guy come on do five more you know you never have that in <laughs> switzerland nobody would ever talk to you here yeah yeah. And, and, and so that spirit, it's just like super cool. And it's like ingrained in the American and not, you know, I, I just loved everything about it. Um, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So, so you did four years. Uh, when did you then, because you qualified for the London 2012 Olympics. So when and how did that happen? Yeah, that was in my last year. So I was there from 2008 to 2012, and that was the Olympic cycle. 2008 was in Beijing. I wasn't qualified for that. And then 2012 was in London. And in my last year at the University of Virginia, I had really the breakthrough year because I did really well for the school, got school record and all that. And, and yeah, that's when my coach said, hey, you're really close to the Olympic cut. You know, why don't you go for that? And and, and I did that, you know, I would travel back home to Switzerland and a couple of weeks later, I actually qualified for the Olympics. So I could barely believe it. And um, yeah, that was 2012 in my last year. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, and so just talk to me a little bit about that then, you know, that's um, again, I think a lot of people might be really annoyed with you uh, because it's their lifelong dream to make the Olympics. Like it's, all that they want uh, for their particular sport. You know, swimming is one of those sports. You don't, you don't get a lot of professional swimmers. And, and there are lots of other sports where the dream is the Olympics because there is no professional version of that sport. You didn't really have that. Um, you know, that wasn't, as you say, you thought about it when you were a kid, but that wasn't your motivating factor was to make the Olympics, but you did uh so what was that like how did that feel to do it um and then what was the experience of actually going like yeah i mean look this is this is i mean when i work with athletes now it, this is so profound it is you know often we know things we intellectually understand things but we don't do these things we know how to do something but we don't do it and we know what we shouldn't do and we still do it because we have shitty habits we cannot install a new habit or routine and this is this is critical i was lucky because i was guided my programming was pretty good it wasn't perfect because then otherwise i would have been michael phelps but it was pretty good because i was guided well by my coaches and my environment you know to to make it work without me constantly thinking about it but the thing, the beautiful thing is, is that when you have the dream and you just got to hang out with that dream, you really got to believe it and you got to program it into you 
what you want. I got to wake you up in the morning at two o'clock and you got to like tell me what you want to be doing, right? It's got to really be internalized, not just intellectually intellectual understand yeah i want to go to the olympics you got to be emotionally involved in it and that comes with repetition so that's why when i work with my athletes we're always like working on internalizing the dream that they have because they're going to take different kinds of actions right and and so yeah for me um you know i was there at the olympics and i i gotta be honest i almost shit my pants before the start because uh, I was nervous, but I had these situations, not that one, but that wouldn't similar. be good in a speedo. I just oh, have to say that, that really wouldn't be good. No, <laughs> I mean, you know, you had like these different call rooms. Um, usually you just have one, but there we had like three or four because everything had to be on time with TV and they were checking if the logos are not big, like too big for TV and whatever. And there were all the big shots around and it was hot and all that. So I was pretty nervous, but try to calm myself down. And I remember I was walking out on the pool when it was finally time. And it was August 1st, 2012. And August 1st is the Swiss National Day, which is pretty cool because I'm Swiss, right? And I walk out and I saw, we had two tickets for my family. And I saw my mom and my sister. They were in the oh, stands. And they, man, there were 10,000 people in the pool. <laughs> this is for a swimmer. That's a dream come true. You know, this I know for football and, 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 and rugby and all, it's not so much, but for, for swimming, it's like, crazy and i saw them with the swiss flag and then i kind of blacked out <laughs> and I, I don't remember anything of the race but i remember touching the wall seeing my time it was on august 1st on swiss national day i swam a swiss record personal best which was and and there's some pictures of me you know like giving the thumbs up and i was <laughs> i was really happy with my Amazing. performance yeah it, it was it was nice but i was 27 in the end you know so right. i missed i missed the semi-finals yeah but you you were happy with what you accomplished. Yeah, I was happy. And that and that, again, that's what's that's what's so important is that for you, that was a dream come true. And it didn't require the Olympic gold. It required you being your best and doing your best. And and that's what that's exactly what you did. That's right. And you know, I I learned afterwards that only about I'm not sure what the number exactly is, but I think it was between five and 10% of all the athletes actually do a personal best in the Olympics because I guess of all the things that are going on around and, you know, I mean, so, and I did that. So I was, yeah, I was happy that I performed on that day and remembering how I felt just before the start. I have to say that was, that was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, what were your, uh, so your, your coaches back at Virginia? Did you hear from them after that? Yeah, I mean, the cool thing was the head coach of the University of Virginia, Mark Bernardino, he was the coach for the Olympic team at USA because we had swimmers for Team USA from the University of Virginia. They won gold, eh? So, <laughs> you know, they, so he was there. That, that was the cool thing. He was there all the way. So, let, okay, I, so I didn't know that. What was it like then when you were at Virginia and you're pretty good at swimming, but and you're swimming alongside these guys who are Olympic or potential Olympic gold medalists. So you're not winning every day in your in your races. Hell no, can I swear? <laughs> Fuck no. What what was that like? How did how did that feel? It was yeah, it was an adjustment, you know, but I I, I saw it as an opportunity to grow and I guess not consciously, but it just happened if, if they're like swimming. I mean, 
buddy there were times in training when i remember saturday morning we had long course training and that would go on for like two and a half hours there were times when i was so broken down because i wasn't used to swimming so much and so hard that they were literally like the girls on our team they would pass me and i, I would go last in my lane like i'm not kidding so you know it is kind of like what the fuck is going on why are they so fast and but that's the cool thing you rise to to the level of the team and that's why like it is so i mean no we heard it so many times and it's kind of cliche but you become like who you surround yourself with you kind of become the environment and that you know when you're the best in switzerland or one of the best you're pulling the whole team but when you go you know somewhere else and all of a sudden you're like in the middle somewhere it's like you know you have a lot of opportunities to rise to the occasion every single day and then at some point okay you're gonna go to the top and you're having a good day you are the best in that day but then tomorrow the next guy is coming and so there's always this healthy competition that's what i'm saying in america it's, since it's all about the team it's not like haha i'm better than you it's like come on let's do it together and that was really really the game changer but yeah there's tremendous growth in in just swimming just swimming with that america like team in america with uva it was that you know that i oh, that's so good um and i think you know you should be proud of yourself and that there are a lot of people who would take a different view to that you know um especially people who are extremely competitive and if they're in a pool with someone and they think, you know what, I'm not winning. <laughs> I, I'm, these girls are passing me. Um, I'm supposed to be, and this is the key, you know, I'm supposed to be the best in my country at this. And these girls are swimming past me. A lot of people would be incredibly demotivated by that and would give up. You didn't. Well, well, let, let, full disclosure here. I mean, I had to kind of downplay it a bit too. I was like, just, you know, while it was happening, I was like, just fuck this. I'm so tired. I'm going to come back tomorrow kind of thing, you know? So it wasn't like, oh, let me try. Like, I, I couldn't anymore. I knew that I was out. Like, and, you know, what we often, we were joking with uh, my Australian mates also that we just after a hard practice would go have a few beers and I don't know we shouldn't say that but just kind of get with the head you know clear the head because it is kind of tough and you know when yeah girls are passing you but just kind of forget about it come back tomorrow and it's a new day and that worked and that really worked just kind of you know forget about it yeah 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 but again to to be able to have that attitude um to, to be able to keep that mentality is really important and be you know you sticking with it meant that you were able to accomplish your dream even more than your dream because you set a swiss record in the olympics on swiss not swiss national day whereas if you had given up at that point yeah. you never would have had that opportunity if you had said these people are passing me um and i can't cope with that i quit i'm out um you never would have you never would have reached your dream. And I think, I think that's really interesting. And I think could help a lot of people to, to focus on what their potential is and their dreams are rather than worrying about everyone else. You know, everyone isn't going to be a Michael Phelps or a Michael Jordan or a LeBron James or a, a, a Tom Brady. Everyone's not going to be that. And that's okay, isn't it? It's okay, but I still think that 
it's okay also okay to have a big dream you know to have because look if i work with tennis players right and if one of the players is telling me okay because we're working on it and say okay i want to be in a wimbledon final i mean yeah i understand this is a huge dream to have but you know even if let's say in 10 years from now when the guy's 25 he's physically at his best and and that like technically good and say he makes it to wimbledon and he becomes let's say eighth it is still a huge accomplishment right and it's probably something that you know he didn't just thinking about saying i want to be in a wimbledon final is something that he doesn't even believe in this moment but still i say it's important because it gives us a direction of where we want to go and absolutely right we kind of we we, we got to see it and that's with everything if we don't even allow ourselves and that's what i never did i didn't allow myself to dream big and i'm sure a hundred percent sure that if i had a dream of winning a medal or even winning gold in the olympics you know i would have done i would have done a lot better than than what i did you know and but at the same time i think I, you're absolutely right it's important to have those dreams it's important to have aspirations that you may not be able to reach because yeah. they, they will force you to reach higher than yeah. you would have otherwise but what you did have was happiness and joy and peace and contentment and you loved your sport and you know you you were very happy with what you did accomplish whereas i think often if your if your goal becomes the be all and end all and you're not going to be happy unless you reach that goal most of the time you're setting yourself up for for failure oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I, I agree with that, but that you, you can have both. You can have a good dream, not, you know, you can have happiness and a high dream even when you don't reach it. So you don't want to identify with the success and you don't want to identify with the failure because you are, you're a spiritual being and you're so much more than your successes and your failure, right? So that's what you yeah. want. I, I agree with you. I, I, yeah, I, I'd much rather be happy than be a world champion and fucking hate myself, right? I mean, it's true, but at the same time, I think we can have it all. And that's like, there, we don't have to make a trade-off. We can have the big dream. We can give everything that we have. And if we don't make it, we can still be happy because we know in advance that we don't identify with the success. Exactly. It's the identity. It failure. Exactly. It's the identity. Exactly. Is, is my ident identity wrapped up in that achieving that goal? Or is my identity wrapped up in the person I am? And that goal is something that I want to attain. Exactly. Uh, and I think, I think that's the big thing, isn't it? That's right. Um, and so let's uh, kind of move on. And so, you know, with, with some of the, the people that we know and that we work with, um, you know, the, the identity issue is a big one, isn't it? For current athletes and for former athletes, where, where is your identity? So, you know, you see it a lot you know, with, with footballers in this country uh, where they've had a career or maybe they've not had a career. Maybe they've only ever been in an academy structure, but their goal was to be a professional footballer in the Premier League or whatever. They haven't attained that goal and they're devastated. Mm -hmm. You know, um, we've got academy kids committing suicide because they haven't been offered professional contracts because the identity was wrapped up in the goal rather than the identity wrapped up in being a person who's content within themselves with the goal as as their operation and their aspiration and target 
Um, so how, how do we help athletes to understand this? Yeah, it's, um, wow. It's a uh, very sad to hear that there's even like suicides happening, but you can also, we can also relate it to, I remember cause I got to the States in 2008 is when the financial crisis hit similar story. It's in business, but I remember watching on TV when Lehman brothers went bankrupt. Those bankers were in New York, right? They were coming out of the office in the evening at five o'clock with their little box and their coffee mug and the ruler and some papers head down. And I kind of went home to the family and, you know, I, I lost everything and the suicide rate went up as well. Um, similar thing, they kind of lost their identity. And, you know, I, I always say that, why do we set goals in the first place? And a lot of people and a lot of athletes think that we set goals to win championships, to, to win medals, to make more money, to have a better car or whatever. But that's not why we set goals at all. We set goals to grow and to become the person that we want to become. And that is a lifelong process and it will never stop. And so, you know, yeah. And, and it goes back to identity. I, I think it's, you know, a lot of these people, when you're not happy with how things are going, it's just that you don't know any better. There's a lack of, because we're like, the school system has a lot to learn. The school system doesn't teach us about how to make money. It doesn't teach us about confidence. It doesn't teach us about identity. We're just being overloaded in school with knowledge that we kind of gather and then we take a test on it and I'll tell you, okay, you're good at this and good at that, but it's not, it's not what you need for life and how the mind works, what happiness is, what, you know, the goal setting, how manifestation works, how you, how powerful you really are. And I mean, what I mean by that is that we literally, and this is a beautiful thing, like buddy, think about that. What sets us apart from animals is really what we can do is we can create stuff because for example, so I have, oh, so for the people that are not seeing it, well, if you look around you and everything that is not grown by modern nature, for example, the coffee mug that I'm using or the bottle, the pen, the microphone that we're using, everything existed as somebody's idea, just a thought in the head first. And then with time, it moved into actual physical form, like the phone. Steve Jobs had an idea. It was just a thought. And then with time, it moved into physical form. So that means we literally, with our mind, have the capabilities to create our own environment. Mm -hmm. And that Michael Jordan had a dream to, you know, be the best version of himself and be like a, the, probably he wanted, I would say he wanted to be the best basketball player or win like so many championships, right? And he created that. And so that's what I mean, how powerful we are. And if you are educated on that, if you know what's going on, you know, that the story changes. And I think so what, yeah, what I would hope that we can do is just, you know, get the knowledge out and empower people with what they're truly capable of and, you know, speak about these things. Yeah. What's your favorite part of working with athletes? Yeah, it's that they have the burning desire. I don't have to convince them. <laughs> What's yours? My favorite part of working with athletes when they begin to slightly different probably from you, I guess for me, when they begin to understand that life is a lot bigger than maybe what they thought it was before. Beautiful. That, that, there, that there's more to life. And that's whether you're working with someone to try to help them prepare for life after sports uh, or whether you're working with someone to help them become better at the sport they're playing. So whether you're doing future coaching 
uh, or whether you're doing performance coaching, often helping them understand that there's more to life. So if you've got a tennis player that's serving uh, double faults all the time, it often is, I mean, you're going to know better than me, but you know, it's often because they're putting so much pressure on themselves to get the serve absolutely perfect in this particular game. And it's all the pressure and they forget that actually there's more to life. It, you can calm down a bit that if you hit this serve in, or if you miss this serve, there's more to life than that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, so helping them broaden their understanding of, of life so that they can relax in the moment and make the most of each moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the most important thing for me. Yeah, cool. And that that's just clearly what you're saying is beautiful. And it clearly proves that it's a lot of it is mental because they can, you know, hit the ball and hit the serve all day in practice a thousand times, right? And goes in, 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 bam, perfect. And then the game comes. It's all it's all in the mind. It's just, yeah, cool, cool. I like yeah. that. It's been amazing talking to you. I think we could spend hours. <laughs> and I, I want to talk to you more about Virginia and Clemson, but um, probably the people listening to this podcast um, don't want to hear that and how much Clemson have beaten Virginia recently it, on the football field. It could get field. messy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, it's, um, you know, I, I think maybe we're going to probably have more chats. Um, and, uh, you know, I love I love what you're doing. Um, so, but before we go, why don't you just tell us a little bit more about um, what exactly what it is you do? Um, who are you working with? What what is your goal uh, as a as a coach? Yeah. So I no not long ago I founded the Tribe of Athletes, which is so I work with professional athletes on their mental game, and for me it's about you know I one of the end results I choose is for me I choose the end result of mentoring the world's most inspiring athletes I didn't put the best I put the most inspiring because for me sport is this beautiful platform for change and inspiration and maybe even most beautifully like contribution also and like giving back and you know when an athlete has like a following a huge following and when they become the best version of themselves because they know where they're going with the dream when they are you know, they're going to radiate that confidence in, in, a, in the best way possible. And that's how they become inspiring and magnetic. And when they can use their social media influence and all that, they, they have the, yeah, they have the platform to inspire literally millions of young kids and next generation. So that, that is, that is what I'm working on with. And, and we have, you know, with an Olympic gold uh, champion in triathlon, for example. And so it, it's been really cool. And yeah, that's what we've been up to. <laughs> that's amazing to work with that to work with athletes because you want inspirational athletes to inspire others. Yeah. That's uh, and that's you know it, when you feel when you feel like you're really you can be yourself. I I mean it's just you know people they're not stupid. They maybe they're not consciously aware of it, but that's why we feel so attracted to leaders. They know where they want to go. They don't need to know how it's going to happen, but they know what they want. And, and, and that is just so inspiring. And, you know, I think, um, it also shows with the athletes, right. That the ones that, yeah. And, um, it's just beautiful. If you can be yourself, if you, because then also the success, you want to share it, you want to give back, you want to contribute. That just comes because we human beings, if you're not a, psychopath you want to give back that's why we're here you know that's why we human beings are here that's what we are coaches because we want to help others and and most people are like that so yeah yeah that's true 
So tell us where we can find you, website, Instagram, Twitter. Give, tell us where we can find you. Yeah, I'm, I'm on all these platforms, but the easiest is if you go on thetribeofathletes.com and uh, yeah, you have everything there and we have uh, some, conf some trainings on confidence and you find all the links for social media and all that. Amazing, amazing. So anything, you, anything we've missed that you want to fill in, uh, I, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Man, I was going to say the, the, let me have the last words that I, you are a phenomenal host. I also very much learned from you. And that's why I love these podcasts because, I mean, we spoke about this when we had a chat, but we can take a topic and we can, you and I can only, or I can only cover this many angles of that topic, but and then you come in with your views and your unique experience and you complete that, right? And so that's why, and you did a wonderful job with that. And thank you. Well, thank you very much. Uh, you've been great. Uh, it's, it's been really fun. And uh, like I said, I'm sure we're going to chat again very soon. Yeah, man. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, thanks for listening. It's been uh, David Karasek on Sing When You're Losing. Uh, stay in touch. Uh, if you haven't yet subscribed to the podcast, please do that now. Uh, and also leave us a review. Uh, we will see you all, or at least you'll hear us again very soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sing When You're Losing podcast. Please do subscribe and review wherever you listen to your podcast. You can also find me, your host, Buddy Owen, at futureproof underscore coach on Instagram, also at futureproof SC. Please look me up, look into what we're doing at Futureproof Sports Consulting. But whatever you do, never forget to sing when you're losing.